Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Every year during the holiday season, I make a promise to myself that I will not go to any of the big stores right after Thanksgiving or right before Christmas. So the, the day after Thanksgiving or definitely the last like few days before Christmas, <clears throat> I just have, I've promised myself I don't have to do that. I don't have to go to any of those places as crazy as they get. And every year I break that promise. For some reason, I have to go to one of those places and I find myself going, why am I here? And uh, <clears throat> a few years ago, I ended up at Walmart and it was like Christmas Eve, it was like the day before Christmas. You ought never to be at Walmart the day before Christmas. It's just a crazy, crazy place. I mean, it was just packed out and full, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I here? I mean, you should be at Christmas Eve services at New Spring. It's Christmas Eve, go over there. But I'm standing there, I'm at the customer service desk, because I need to, re- I, I can't remember what it was, I needed to return something or exchange something last minute. And there was this lady in front of me, and I didn't, I just saw her from the back, because she was in front of me in line, and she was yelling at the person at the customer service desk. And um, I tend to not get involved necessarily, because I don't want to make anything worse, and so it's not my personality to just kind of like get into the middle of something like that, but this is as close as I've ever gotten. I was really close to stepping in there and saying, knock it off, lady, I mean, because she was really just cutting loose at this person, the customer service desk. And then she started to cuss. And here's the thing. I was a mechanic for years. There are very few things that I haven't heard on a regular basis back when I was doing that job. But this lady made up words I've never heard before in combinations that I've never heard before. And I thought, I'm really glad my kids aren't here to hear this, right? This is just really, and I, I felt so bad for this poor young lady who was working the customer service counter. And finally, this lady was like, I'm just leaving. And I thought, and everybody has a sigh of relief. Thanks, please do leave. As she turns around, she has a t-shirt on that says, y'all need Jesus. You know? <clears throat> and I'm thinking, we do, huh? Um, you ever met somebody who's just not a very good representative for God? Not necessarily the person that you would want to be, um, you know, uh, the person that you would want people to associate with the God that we know and the God that we have a personal connection with. You're like, I just, I'm not sure you've met him. Like, I know you have the t-shirts and the signs and all the stuff and the bumper stickers, but I'm not sure you've met God. And there are people who've never met God, but who front God all the time. And that is kind of their normal way of life. And as a matter of fact, their religious status is what makes them feel like they have worth in this world. And as a result, they use it to put other people down. And there were a group of people that Jesus dealt with the whole time he was here on earth doing ministry that were like that. And so we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about that. But before we get there, just a reminder what we're talking about in this series called Desperado. Uh, We're using Desperado as a term for what the Bible would call a fool. And that is a person that stubbornly continues in a pattern of action that hurts themselves and others. So they they are doubling down on something that is not working. 
right? It's, it's causing problems for, for them, and it's now it's causing problems for you. It was originally just their problem. Have you ever noticed this is how this works? Originally, it was just their problem. Now, apparently, it's my problem, too, because I'm dealing with it as well. I mean, I've worked so often with couples where one will have an alcohol addiction or some other substance issue. It starts off as the spouse's problem, but pretty soon, it's my problem, too, because the dysfunction of whatever that addiction is is now leaking over into my life, and I'm having to deal with the, uh, with the fallout of that. Or it could be maybe Maybe you have a friend and they're in a destructive relationship and you've told them. You're like, this person's no good for you. And they're like, I know, I know, I know. And then they stay in the relationship. They're still going forward with that. And I mean, that's their call. That's their choice. But it's like every week they call you on the phone and spend like an hour with you on the phone complaining about this relationship when you're like, I didn't pick this relationship. I've told them it's a bad relationship. I've told them you should get out of this relationship. But they keep calling and I have to spend an hour on the phone hearing about all the things. And none of it is shocking to me because it's a bad relationship. And I keep saying hey, this isn't healthy. And they're like, I know, I know, I know. And then they stay in it. And it's those things where you're just like, I see where they're headed and I see what kind of trouble they're in, they're in for. And the consequences in their life are now becoming consequences in my life. And I don't know what to do with it. In the first week of the series, we talked about what, is, what do you do when that person is in your family? Second week, last week, we talked about what do you do when it's a leader in your life or a boss in your life <clears throat> that you work for? But this week we're talking about what do you do when it's that person in your life that is the super church person? Like they have the cape and everything. Like they're just like, they're, they are the person who's like, you cannot spend time with them without them reading you their religious resume. Like they want you to know that they are something else. When it comes to God, God thinks of them very, very highly. And so they need to let you know that, right? And so we're going to be talking about what about that person in your life? You just see their stuff on the social media feed and you don't mean to roll your eyes, but you do. Because you're like, oh, come on, really? Uh, and so that's kind of what we're spending time with. Now, the people that we're talking about uh, are the Pharisees. The Pharisees were sort of the religious elite of Jesus' day. And, and we're going to get to a story about the Pharisees in a minute. But I need to let you know, the Pharisees started off well. They started off well uh, in the sense that there was a move Early on, this was before Jesus' ministry, this would have been um, quite a little while before, where there was a sort of movement away from the authoritativeness of Scripture. There, there were religious leaders who were saying that the Scripture is, you know, it's, 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 and there's always somebody saying this in culture. Oh, well, the Bible is a good book, and it has good information, but we really shouldn't take it that seriously. And there was a move toward that, and the Pharisees were the ones speaking up and saying, no, we should take the Scripture seriously. We should take it literally. We should take it as inspired. So they started off really well, <clears throat> and most people who end up a religious desperado start off really well. Start off for the right reasons with the right goals. But eventually, they took a wrong turn. And it's amazing. One wrong turn, you can get quite a, quite a ways down the wrong road after you make that wrong turn. And the wrong turn that they made was thinking that God wants us to jump through a bunch of hoops to prove our worthiness to him. Now, that has never been scriptural. It's never been scriptural that God's way of us being right with him is for us to jump through a bunch of of hoops, but that was 
what they came to believe, and as a result, they became expert hoop makers. So not only did they make the hoops for themselves, they started making hoops for everybody else. This is what you need to do to jump through these to be approved by God, and that was what God was dealing with. So we're gonna talk about them in just a second. We're gonna get to a story in just a second where Jesus really hits home with what they're dealing with and what we need to know about dealing with religious desperado. Before we get there, I wanna review really quick. There are kind of a couple sorts of desperados that are, you know, the, again, the biblical term here is fool. I know it sounds a little harsh, but it's, it's just what it is. It is what it is. It's a foolish lifestyle to say, I know that what I'm doing is causing damage to myself and others, and I'm gonna to continue to do it. That is the foolish lifestyle. Now, one sort of fool is the fool who says there isn't any God. Now, remember the scripture says that wisdom, and wisdom is the opposite of foolishness. So a wise person, right, has fear of the Lord. Now, we said last week, when we say fear, we don't mean I'm scared of God, right? That's, that's a negative thing. I don't wanna be scared of God. I said, and, and forgive me for repeating what I said last week, but uh, I love to go to the ocean. I, I, it's just a very restorative time for me whenever I'm at the beach. And, but when I go there, I see this massive, massive body of water stretching out in front of me, and I'm awed at how huge it is. I have that sense of awe, and I go, wow, right? And I think, this is so big, and I am so small. And also, I recognize this is so powerful. I don't want to be on the wrong side of this power, right? Um, and it's the same thing like when you go to the Grand Canyon. You, 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 you stand next to the Grand Canyon, you go, wow, this is so big, and I'm so small, and I don't want to be on the wrong side of this uh, powerful thing. That's why we put guardrails up around the Grand Canyon, right? And so ultimately what we're talking about here is that sense of we come to God and we say, God, you are so big and I'm so small and you are so powerful. And as long as we recognize that, that's where wisdom begins. But the Bible says there is another type of person. Uh, this is in Psalms. David says, only fools or desperados say in their heart, what, there is no God. So, and by the way, the Bible says God has made himself plain to us. We should realize by seeing the world around us that God exists. But there are some people who just cover their eyes and say, I don't see God because it's much more convenient for me to be my own God. Right? And that is, that is one kind of fool. That's not the kind of fool we're talking about today. The kind of fool we're talking about today knows there's a God. And this is one that Paul talked about in the book of Romans. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, right? So that, that mentality, the fool mentality, that person uses it to say, my life, where I'm, what do, what do we say in week one? I'm consequence ignorant. I'm not paying attention to what the long-term outcome of this is gonna be, right? And I can't be confronted. Nobody can talk to me about, you know, this is the kind of person you just can't talk to about whatever it is that they're, they're doing. They cannot be confronted. And so as a result, my life is incompatible with the true God, but that's okay, because I'll just shape him into what I want him to be in order to be compatible with the life that I want to live. I will develop a foolish God to fit my foolish lifestyle. And then I will carry that God around in my pocket. I hear people talk about my God wouldn't do this or my God wouldn't say this. Uh, and by the way, I think it's wonderful for us to use the term my God when we're talking about our personal relationship with him, that it's not like a distant and disconnected thing. This is my God. That's a good thing. But when we start talking about my God like the God in my pocket, my version of God, the God that I own, none of us own a God. None of, and, and God is not up for redefinition, certainly not by me. I don't get to shape God into whatever I want him to be. But a foolish person says, I will just make a version of God that is compatible with my broken life. So I will have a broken God to fit my broken life, and then I'll be surprised when everything is broken. 
So they come up with foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools, utter desperados. By the way, the word here from which we get uh, the word wise, the word that's translated wise here is sophos. We get the word sophisticated from it, right? And then the word, the root word from which we get the word fools there is the word moros. Just saying. Claiming to be sophisticated, we become morons. Did you see, this is kind of where we are in the United States in 2024. We say we're more sophisticated than we've ever been before. In the process of becoming more sophisticated, we become more foolish, right? And so there's this idea that I can create whatever God is compatible with what I want to do and how I want to feel and what I believe is right. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm creating a God in my own image. God created us in his image, but we now serve a culture where we say we're going to create a God in our image. That's as backward as it can possibly be. So I want to take you that story, I promise you. This is in the book of Luke. And Jesus is going to talk about one of these super church people that he dealt with. The whole time he was on earth, the most trouble he had was with the religious crowd. The religious crowd was who put him on the cross. Because the problem with religion is religion is my way of proving to myself that I am okay. It, I, I've used the term before, like the Pharisees, they created all those hoops to jump through and all these exercises, religious exercises and things to do for people to see that you would do a certain number of times at a certain time of day in a certain way and all the details, you had to do it just so or it didn't count. And there are some religious cultures that have very similar sorts of things and I hate to refer to it as like religious OCD, but it's kind of close. In OCD, we have these things we call checking behaviors, which mean I need to check that door five times to make sure I shut it, or I need to check the refrigerator 10 times to make sure that it's closed, or I need to go and make sure that, um, you know, I turned off the sprinkler in the backyard eight or nine times. And we do that because we hope eventually we will feel like it is okay. I do that checking behavior over and over because if I do it enough times, I'm hoping that eventually something will land in my spirit that says, okay, that's good enough. And there is a sense in which we do the same thing in religion. Okay, here's the behavior, here's the thing. I have to do it this number of times. I have to do it this number of prescribed ways. I have to make sure that it's done this way and not that way. And if I do it enough times, then somehow in my spirit, I will feel like I am okay. But those of us who have been in that sort of religious tradition will tell you it's a temporary thing. It's never, you never feel like you are okay ongoing. It's always, I gotta go back and try to do those things that will make me feel like I'm okay. But one of the reasons why it's temporary is you know in your heart, I don't think it's doing anything. I don't really think he's doing anything. But the Pharisees, that's, that is what they had done. And they eventually became very respected by everybody. Everybody kind of looked up to them because they knew how to do all the things. And they did all the things better than everybody else did all the things. And Jesus is going to talk about this. This is in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now that kind of would have blown their circuits. The first part of that was completely normal. Two men go to the temple to pray. Well, yeah, people go to the temple to pray. First was a Pharisee. Well, of course a Pharisee went to the temple to pray. They were super church people. They were there all the time. The Pharisees were the kind of people, they were the folks that were at the church when the pastor wasn't at the church. They were just there all the time. Like you'd see them there and they knew how to do all the poses and all the, the rhythms and routines of church life. They got it. And so, yeah, of course the Pharisee goes to the temple. And then he said, and a tax collector, that would have been the weird part. Because they would have thought that God would have zapped a tax collector with a lightning bolt trying to get into the temple. Because to be a tax collector, at this time, Rome ruled the world. 
Rome, the taxes that were being collected were for Rome, but Rome was pragmatic. And they, didn't, they knew that if they sent Roman soldiers in to collect taxes, that wouldn't go well. So what they would do is they would get some Jewish people that they could flip and have them go in and collect taxes from the other Jewish people. And they basically said, look, whatever you skim off the top is your business. And so tax collectors were known, number one, for being turncoats. They're working for Rome. It wasn't like people didn't get that. They were working for Rome. And then secondly, they were stealing from their countrymen in the process of getting money to Rome. So it was just not somebody that you had really good feelings for. And Jesus said, this person goes into the temple. It would be like, it would be like if Jesus came to us and said, two guys go to church, one was a respected pastor and the other was a porn producer. And we'd go, oh, I don't know how that's gonna go. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. How's that for the start of a prayer? You know somebody like this? I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. All the crazy, weird, heathen people in my life who read my Facebook page and understand how spiritual I am. I'm glad I'm not like everybody else is, right? He says, I'm glad I'm not a cheater or a sinner or adulterer. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Oh, I didn't say this in any of the other messages, any of the services this week. This is for free. You ever met somebody who prays to everybody else in the room? Drives me nuts. Like, I'm gonna act like I'm talking to God, but actually I'm talking to everybody else in the room. I'm doing this for the benefit of everybody else who's listening to me. I'm not actually talking to God. I'm talking to, I'm saying what I want everybody else around to hear me say to God, right? God knows whether or not the guy tithes. He's broadcasting that he tithes so everybody else will hear that he tithes. That was for free. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now think about this, and this is the way my dad always puts it, and I love his wording, so I'm giving him credit for this because it's a good way of putting it. My dad says, it's interesting that the tax collector got to leave his baggage there and go home. The Pharisee had to take his baggage home with him. See, some people go to church and they say, God, I am as broken as they come and I need your help because I can't do this life by myself. I can't do this by myself. I'm so broken and I need you to come in and deal with my brokenness and I need you to show me what's broken. And God, I'm gonna still be a broken person. I'm still gonna have this sin nature, but I'm gonna agree with you. When you say what I'm doing is wrong, I'm gonna agree with you. God, it is wrong and I'm I'm gonna try to work on it. I'm gonna continue to be imperfect, God, but I'm gonna follow you as best I know how. That person goes home without their baggage and they start over. God's mercies are new every morning. But there are some people who come to church to be seen and to show everybody their religious resume and to feel good about themselves and to pat themselves on the back that I did my religious thing this week. And those persons go home having wasted an hour of their week in church because nothing good happened there for them. And they go home with the same baggage they came with. Profile of religious desperado, one thing is for sure, their self-confidence comes from the belief that they're better than other people. Look at what Jesus said about them in Luke 18. The people he was talking to had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. It is that combination of, I feel okay in this world because I have convinced myself that I am wonderful and everybody else is a mess. And so long as I can continue to convince myself that I am that much better than everybody else, I feel okay. The reason the Pharisees had such a problem with Jesus 
was that he threatened their sense of being okay because he would not allow them to continue to see themselves as so much better than everybody else. Why put Jesus on the cross? Why get so upset with him? Because he threatened their ability to look at everybody else and say, you are so much worse than I am. And that's what happens with religious desperado. The motto of religious desperado is, I must be pretty great because I'm clearly better than most people. I mean, that was basically what the Pharisee's prayer is. Dear God, I must be pretty good because I'm at least better than them and I'm better than that person and I'm better than that person. By the way, we have a, an ancient document that talks about six kind of, of uh, the sort of pseudo, that, that's actually the term for it in that ancient document, pseudo-righteous people. So these are people that would be like the Pharisees, and this would be contemporary with that time. So this may be more than you want to know, maybe detail beyond what's interesting, but it's interesting to me. These six kinds of religious desperados, the first kind was the glory seeker. These guys, and Pharisees were the primary ones, would write documents out of all the good things they did. Everything they could think of. It's like a religious resume, really. They would write it up to just say all the good things they did, and then they would pin it to the shoulders of their garment so that as you talk to them, you could not help but read their religious resume. Who is it in your life that it's like, I cannot talk to them without them reading me their religious resume. I cannot talk to them without them trying to explain to me all the good things that they do so that I will approve of them. What they don't get is, I will approve of them if they didn't read me their resume. It's not about all those things, but to them it feels like it is. To them it feels like I just need to show you all the things that I do that proves that I'm worthwhile. Those, those were the glory seekers. The next kind were the feet draggers. These guys were interesting. They had work that they needed to be doing. They had responsibilities that they needed to be doing. But in their piety, they would drag their feet, which by the way, they would injure their feet this way, but they would drag their feet and walk really slow to show how humble and pious they were. Meanwhile, you would go up to them and be like, aren't you supposed to be at work? Like, you're supposed to, and they're like, oh, you know, I often am four or five hours late to work because I'm so devoted to the Lord that I walk very slowly. This is a person who is using their religion as an excuse not to do the things that, that God would want them to do. And I've seen that before. I've seen people say, well, no, I, I can't do it. And by the way, Jesus confronted the Pharisees on this directly. He said, you guys are saying, I can't afford to take care of my parents. Back then, there was no social security. There was no welfare system at all. And so it was expected that adult children would take care of their parents. And so he said, but you Pharisees say, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I can't take care of you. I've set this money aside for the Lord. He's like, and then you go use that money for other things. Sometimes we use... It, religion, it can be an excuse. I think we need to be able to make a case for the fact when somebody asks us to do something and it legitimately goes against our faith, we need to make a, be able to make a case for it. But we need to be, share, be careful not to stretch that out of shape, right? Number three, these are my favorite, the bleeders. So these guys, <laughs> these guys were worried that they might accidentally lust after a woman. And that is a legitimate worry. And they thought, well, the way I can avoid that is if I'm out in public, I'll just keep my eyes closed. Also not a bad idea, I suppose. <laughs> Problem is, if you keep your eyes closed all the time, you start walking into things. And these guys were famous for walking into doors and walking into posts and walking into buildings to the point where they began, began to be bruised and bleeding. Again, up until this point, there's nothing technically wrong with this. It is killing flies with a sledgehammer in my opinion, but it's nothing technically wrong yet. 
But the problem is, eventually they got to the point where they said, because I'm bruised and bleeding more than this guy, and I'm bruised and bleeding more than this guy, I'm more spiritual than them. If you were as spiritual as me, you'd walk around with your eyes closed all the time, and you'd run into buildings like I do. But you don't run into buildings like I do, and you're not nearly as beat up and battered as I am, so obviously you're not very spiritual. I'm just going to leave that one there. The bender. These guys walked around like this all the time. In the ancient world, bowing was a sign of respect, and so they thought, well, the way I can show how pious I am is just to constantly be bent down as a way of showing that I'm more humble than every other person that I ever would run into under any circumstances. Seems to me like you'd need a chiropractor pretty quick uh, if you did this all the time. Jesus wasn't fooled by this. God isn't fooled by this. Jesus was very clear to tell them, look, you can do this all the time, but God knows the condition of your heart. I remember, I remember the story of little Bobby in Sunday school. <clears throat> when I was uh, growing, growing up, I used to hear pastors tell the story of little Bobby. And little Bobby had ADHD just like, like I did. So I was very, I, I had a real tough time sitting still in Sunday school. A flannel graph just didn't cut it for me. I, I wanted something more exciting. Bobby just kept popping up during the middle of Sunday school out of his chair. And Sunday school teaches little Bobby, you got to sit, sit back down. Bobby popped right back up. Little Bobby, you, know, you need to sit down. Bobby finally just drove the teacher nuts. He went over there and he took his hands and put them on his shoulders and scooched him down into his chair and said, now, Bobby, now you're sitting down. And Bobby said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, right? <laughs> and Jesus is saying, you may be bowing to everybody on the outside, but you're proud and standing up on the inside. As a matter of fact, the reason you're bending is so that inside you can be proud, You are trying to show people you are humble so that inside you can be lifted up in pride. Fifth kind is a scorekeeper. These people were famous for trying to find new rules. God, give me some new rules. I don't have enough rules. I know your teenagers probably never said that to you. I don't have enough rules. Give me some more rules. They asked for more rules for two reasons. One was they thought they had followed all God's rules up to this point. Now, think about that. Think about the two great commandments and the extent to which I'm supposed to love God, and the extent to which I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Anytime we ever approach God and say, God, I've done everything you've ever asked me to do, that is a gut check moment for us to realize that somehow we have taken leave of our senses. But this person is saying, God, I've done all the things you've ever asked me to do, I need some more. Here's the second reason they did that, because we have record that these guys would actually list out all of the good things they did, not to put on their robes, but because they intended to show God this list that these are the things you need to compensate me for. These are the things that I've done and that I, you owe me compensation for doing these things. And then sixth, and I think this is the one that's most common in our culture today, is the worrier, right? This person is so scared of God They're so scared of God that they're motivated to do all the things, but it's just going through the motions because they're so frightened that God wants to squash them like a bug and that somehow God will will harm them that, that they've never met God. They're so scared of him, they've never had a relationship with him. They've never learned what his nature is. And so because of that, yes, they're going through all the motions and they're very devout, but they're not devout out of love for God. They're devout out of, out of being scared. God, I'm so scared of what you're gonna do to me. So I'm gonna do all these things so maybe you'll be less mad at me. And in the process, God is saying, I just wanna have a relationship with you, but I can't have a relationship with you because what you think I am and what I am are two completely different things. Told you we'd look at some universals. It's true of the religious desperado. Here's another one. The religious desperado is completely focused on image. It's all about the outside. I don't think it starts that way. 
I don't think I've ever met a religious desperado that started only worried about image. But the thing is, when religion becomes about doing all the things, doing the things you realize are not for God's benefit. Eventually, you will find yourself doing the things for the benefit of everybody around you so that they can give you the thumbs up and say you're okay. And I I start to worry more about everybody else around me giving me the thumbs up to say you're okay than God saying, I see your heart. Remember Remember what God told Samuel when David was anointed? God told Samuel, look, people can only see you on the outside, but God sees your heart. So instead of saying, God, look at my heart, like David said, God, examine my heart, see what's going on on the inside. Instead, we're talking to everybody else around, thumbs up or thumbs down, am I doing okay? Let me know. And so as a result, we become very focused on image and how people see us. And here's the thing, whenever image is what matters, what happens on the inside becomes a private thing and it becomes something that we're very guarded about and we get to the point where actually what we're worried about is having anything scar our image and we're not nearly as worried about what's happening on the inside as just keeping the image going and that's what was happening for the, happening for the Pharisees. Jesus said this, everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues and they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, which is a word for being behind the mask. Hypocrites, I'm, I'm, I'm a, an actor. I'm, that's what Jesus called. We, we think of hypocrite in a religious sense. But what Jesus was saying is he, he called them actors. You, you, you guys are, are really good posers. He said, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law like justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, blind guides. Okay, what's this business of herbs? Why is Jesus talking about herbs? Well, in this agricultural society, you would have a season of harvest and you'd have your big agricultural product and you would give a 10th of it back to the Lord. But the Pharisees wanted to see, they wanted people to believe that they never broke a rule ever, ever under any circumstances. Pharisees had a little herb garden like we do. Some of us have a little herb garden in our indoors where you know, you're growing a little cilantro or you're growing some parsley or something and you take off little bits of it to put in a salad or, or, or some sort of seasoning for some dish that you're cooking. And so they would take that, you know, like, like for us, it's like if we would take a leaf of cilantro and take a little sharp knife and divide it into pieces so that we could give a tenth of that cilantro leaf back to the Lord as a sign to everybody around us that we don't ever break a rule. And so that people would look at us and go, wow, you really are serious about following the Lord. I would never do that. You really do the things. You do all the things. And God is saying, thank you for the 10th of a cilantro leaf. In the meantime, you are also not compassionate. You don't care about people. You don't love people. You're not doing the things that matter the most. What has happened is you've become accustomed to showing people that you are religious, but you are not turning into a God follower. You're turning into a religious person, but not a God follower. See, so many of us, it's like, well, is it Christian? And and, and that's a good term, and we should use the term Christian. But Christian on paper and a God follower in practice are two different things. Christian is a label that gets slapped on so many things. But the question is, do I actually follow God? And God is saying, I know the difference. I can look at you and tell whether you've just slapped the Christian label on or whether there's actually something going on deep down. And whenever it's all about image, the biggest risk point is that it will become, you'll, you'll, you'll end up with a life full of double standards. Meaning that here's how I present myself, that's one side of the double standard, and here's how I am, that's the other side of the double standard. And I just hope you don't find out how I really am. And we, we experience so much disappointment, I think, I think especially over the last 10, 15 years, there'll be religious leaders or somebody that we look up to and we'll hear something and we'll just go, oh, that's sad. 
But the thing is, there's a double standard there because this is how I present myself and this is what it really is. And the main thing is I just need to make sure that what really is doesn't surface. It's the big thing. And that's what Jesus was saying was happening with these guys. He says, practice and obey whatever they tell you because they're gonna read the law of Moses to you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. And then he pronounces sorrow on them again and says, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside will become clean too. Okay, what is he saying? Look, all of us have a certain amount of energy to spend on self-development. So I can either spend that energy on the inside, or I can spend it on the outside. So I have to have a philosophy here. Will working on the outside then bleed over into the inside, or will working on the inside then bleed over into the outside? And God is going to do the math for us and just tell us straight out that if you work on the outside, it won't bleed over into the inside. You can do all that work on the outside, right? It's like putting new paint over rotten siding. You can keep putting new paint over it, but eventually the rot is gonna come through the paint, and all the work that you did is eventually going to be ruined by the fact that what's underneath is going to surface. Or you could work on what is underneath, and that will begin to improve what is at the surface. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, start on the inside and let the inside begin to leak over into the outside. But don't start on the outside and think it's going to make me right with God because dressing up the outside is, is not going to change where God looks because scripture is very careful to tell us that God looks on the inside. The other part of a profile of religious desperado, others exist for one purpose, and that's the purpose of comparison. Why did God put other people on this planet around me? God put other people on this planet around me so that I can feel better about myself. So that I can look at other people and say, well, you're certainly not where I'm at. Um, Maybe someday, right? But you know what? The problem with that is I become elevated in my sense of worth, which then causes me to not be able to connect authentically with God Right? This is a biblical principle that if I become lifted up in pride, it puts a blockade between me and, the, and, and, and an authentic connection with God. But not only that, but I become a symbol of God following to people who don't know God, even though it's not real. But I am now broadcasting to others, this is what God is like, and I make it worse for them. Look at what Jesus said. This is probably the most scathing rebuke Jesus ever gave anybody of the Pharisees. He said, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourself, and you won't let others in either. That's a pretty strong rebuke. He's saying, you're, you're so lifted up in pride, we can't connect. But it's not just that. You've advertised that this is what I'm about, and you're making it harder for other people to connect with me. So, I have five minutes left to tell you what to do with these folks. If you run into a religious desperado, what do you do? Well, first off, you're not gonna flip them. We've talked about this before. I cannot make a desperado come to their senses for them. So I cannot suddenly make them turn around. I need to just be checking myself. And there are a few areas I wanna check myself in. First is this. I just need to be really careful because what they have is contagious. Right? Hypocrisy is contagious. I think authenticity is contagious as well. I think it's the opposites are true. I think you get around somebody who's very authentic and their authenticity will begin to impact your life. But I think if you get around a person who is a bona fide hypocrite, their hypocrisy will begin to impact your life, right? Jesus talked to his disciples about this in, uh, in the book of Luke. He turned to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. Whenever you see Jesus using yeast as a, uh, as a uh, metaphor, he's talking about something that grows and spreads, so he's like, hypocrisy grows and it spreads, so be very careful about it. And the, the reason is this. Because we are broken, 
And we're gonna talk about that next week, the brokenness that we have inside. Because we are broken, there will always be something in our spirit that longs to be right with God. And faith, our faith is our ability to believe that through Jesus Christ, we are right with God. But that is hard. It is hard because I face my brokenness every day. I see my brokenness every day. So to believe that through Jesus Christ, I'm made right with God, that is a, that is a leap. That is a leap of faith for sure. It is so much easier to just create a set of rules and say, so long as I do these things, then I'm right. And everybody else can see that I'm right. And everybody else will verify that I'm right. And so that's why it's contagious. It's, instead, I have to have faith and be able to say, God, I'm as broken as I am, and yet I still stand right before you because of Jesus Christ. And part of that is developing some honesty. I need to be honest with God. I need to be honest with myself and with others. And there's a little bit of a sandwich effect there because I've noticed over the years of doing counseling that people start off by not being honest with God, partially because they're not communicating with God very much to start with. And then they start being dishonest with others. And the last person who keeps track of what's really going on in their life is them. But the problem is at this point, they're the only one who's really, who really knows what's going on in their life. And not too long from then, they lose track. And they begin to tell themselves it's not that bad. And they begin to reshape the way that they look at things. And they start telling themselves lies. And before you know it, they've completely lost track of what's really happening. If you want to be in touch with where I really am as a person, it starts with being honest with others and being honest with God. God, this is where I am. Being able to be honest with, uh, with my family. Being able to be honest with my small group. And be honest with my church and say, this is where I am. And when I'm honest with God and when I'm honest with others, I'll begin to be honest with myself. And the one thing is true, at that moment, I can engage with God. Because if I'm honest with myself, I won't be lifted up in pride because I'm gonna recognize that I am broken and I am flawed. But I, I can at that point approach God in reality and say, God, this is really where I am at. And when we approach God with reality and humility, that's where God meets us. All right, I'm gonna run through these last couple pretty quickly because of our short time. We need to be humble because God did not send us to this earth to be part of a competition God sent us to this earth to be part of a mission. We, we, we weren't sent here to compete with each other. We were sent here to be better together. God, that's, that's what the body of Christ is about. That's what the church is about, that we are better together. So when church becomes a competition to see who gets the prize for being the most religious person, it is totally against what God designed the church to be. We're not here to compete with each other to see who's better than each other. We're here to admit to each other that without the body of Christ, we would not be able to accomplish what we are accomplishing as a team. Sometimes we have other churches that are like, how do we be like New Spring? You guys are growing and you got all these things happening. And I wanna go, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with some sort of particular success strategy or anything. It's a, a bunch of people coming together saying we're broken and we wanna be part of a family of faith where we're not competing with each other, but we just wanna engage God together as a family. And then the last thing that I wanna share with you is this. You need to be confident in Christ. See, I told you, a religious desperado, they're confident in being better than everybody else. That's where the confidence comes in. We could put it this way. They say to themselves, I'm okay because I'm better than you. But to a person who's a real God follower, we say, I'm okay because Jesus Christ has redeemed me and I'm adopted child of the King. That's why I'm okay, right? I'm not okay because I'm all put together, because I'm not. 
I'm not, I'm not okay because I'm perfect because I'm not. I'm not okay because I'm religious because I don't want to be religious. I'm, I'm not okay because everybody looks up to me because you know what? If people really know me well, they're going to know there are things to look up to and there are things to say, wow, they have to work on that. I, I'm, I'm okay because Jesus Christ has paid the price for my brokenness and because I have a relationship with God. That's why I'm okay. Speaking of the Pharisees, this group of religious desperados, there's a guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament who started off that way. And as a matter of fact, he said he was the worst of the worst. He, this was the guy who was going in and dragging people out of their homes because they were followers of Jesus, taking um, moms and dads out of the home, leaving children to fend for themselves. I mean, he was a, uh, just the worst of the worst. And then he had this miraculous conversion. And once he came to Jesus, he writes this in Philippians. He said, I once thought these things, what things? The hoops, the religious hoops to jump through and all the things for the religious resume. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Why? Because of what Christ has done. He's like, Christ is now my confidence. Christ is my identity. I don't need those other things. He said, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. And then he said, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. He's like, look, my religious resume, I've kicked it to the curb because it doesn't serve the purpose of getting me close to God. What serves the purpose of getting me close to God is Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I wanna know Christ. He said, that, that's what, where I'm at right now. I used to want people to know how good I am. Now I wanna know Christ. And, and, and if that rubs off on other people and impacts other people in a positive way, fantastic. But I am no longer spending my life worried about this. Like, do you think I'm good enough? Do you think well of me? Do you look up to me? And now I'm saying, God, change me. Change me from the inside out. Help me be who you want me to be. Another Pharisee that Jesus talked to, or at least somebody who was associated with that group, was Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Wonderful, wonderful passage. I think Nicodemus was one of those worriers. I think he was one of those who was just very anxious. I don't know, I don't know, you know. I think he was like, I'm doing all the things, I'm doing all the things. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, whoa, this guy has something to say. I need to go talk to him. But he approached him by night because he didn't want the other Pharisees to see him showing up there. So I think the poor guy was pretty anxious. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. I think that made him even more anxious. I don't know how I could do that. He said, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. And water here has to do with the sense of when we say that a, a lady's water has broken and she's going into labor. He says he, she can, that uh, uh, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is what's really important. Jesus saying, even a religious desperado like you, buddy, that's why I'm here. Now think about this. John 3.16 is a verse that we used to talk about Jesus' payment on the cross for our sins, but Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. It's really a powerful thing if you think about it. Nicodemus is saying, I'm getting ready to pay for what you've done wrong. I'm getting ready to pay for the things that you've worked so hard to earn your way out of. You've tried to earn your way out of being broken and you're still broken. You, you, you've tried to prove to everybody that you're perfect and you're still not perfect. And you've tried to convince yourself that you're okay, but in your heart, you know you're not okay. And he's saying, that's why I'm here. Don't try to do my job. What is the religious desperado's biggest problem? They're trying to do Jesus' job for him. I, I cannot do Jesus' job. I cannot make myself right with God. The only way I can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. I hope this has been helpful for you because I, I do think this. I think 
when we have a genuine sense of what God is doing in our life and we can come before God and say, wow, God, you're so big and I'm so small. I wanna be on the right side of you. I wanna follow you and I want you to deal with my brokenness. I think when people do that, they can change the world. And I think in this day and age more than ever, we need less religious desperados and we need more people who will say it's real with me. I'm really broken and I really have a savior and he's really changing my life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? We'll be done here in just a second. If you'd say, Jonathan, I don't know that I'm a religious desperado, but I'll tell you one thing. I, I don't have a relationship with God, but that part you just said before, yeah, I am really broken and I really do need a savior. Here's the thing. You can connect with God today. All the hard, thing, all the hard work has been done. Jesus has already died on the cross. The only thing he can't do for you is say yes for you because that's not the way relationships work. If you wanna have a relationship with him, that could start right now. I'm gonna say the words to a simple prayer. You could follow along if you'd like. Here's that prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died and came back to life for me. I know I do wrong things. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you just made the biggest decision in your life, and we'd like to help you get started in your new relationship with God, we've got a box of some materials we'd love to get you. You can text PRAY to 97000. We'll make sure we get that to you, or you can just stop by uh, an info center. We'll make sure that you have that as you leave today. Thanks for being here. Next week, we'll talk about uh, the desperado inside of me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.